Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Curious Competitor Podcast. I'm your host today, current NHL defenseman, current unrestricted free agent uh, defenseman, Connor Carrick. Uh, UFA window will open here. I think it's uh, the 28th. I honestly I haven't paid a tremendous amount of attention. I've had a little bit of a flickering pulse uh, on all things NHL. I had a little bit better understanding, I think, of the expansion draft format and was keeping closer eye on who was getting protected where uh, last time around is, as I was uh, subject for protection uh, with the Toronto Maple Leafs. There were talks that uh, I remember at the time, uh, along with my agent, there were whispers that they might not. Uh, Las Vegas, uh, the Golden Knights um, apparently were showing interest, which would have been super exciting at the time. I felt you know, a little stuck at the time, uh, fit-wise with Toronto Maple Leafs. George McPhee was the GM at the time in Vegas. Who had drafted me originally? I knew nothing about uh, Gerard Galan. I can't even remember if they had a coach hired at the time, but I just think the open sea of opportunity that was what I was most excited about. And I remember even that season, just given a lot of the players being underdogs, the Colin Millers, the Nate Schmitz, uh, Jonathan Marcher. So these were players that I was familiar with, had played with and against some of them, uh, had seen you know their talent, and then you know it also. I remember the year before, uh, I think it was Vegas, Colin Miller and I were, you know, in the press box for the Toronto-Boston series talking about, you know, just our circumstance and and things like that. We had known each other just from playing against each other. Uh, he was with the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds, stud D-man with them in the OHL, and I was with the Plymouth Whalers, so we were familiar with each other's game back then, and I think just a similar age group guys, uh, similar players being right shot, you know, sort of two AD men, you always kind of keep an eye on the on each other. So, you know, didn't work out, stuck around uh, in Toronto, uh, which I've talked about a lot at this podcast, but it's always curious, you know, you don't, you don't get uh, to go two routes, you don't get to explore both forks in the road, but it's always interesting uh, to consider what the other side might have looked like. Side note, one of the things that I just thought was cool about that run, I remember uh, really pressing uh, Nate Schmidt, who I was friends with, we're not, you know, Super, super tight. I think we'd both admit that. But I just remember asking, like, man, what's in the water there? What's under the hood, you know, with Vegas? And one of the things that always stuck with me was uh, culturally sort of the worst mistake you can make was to play scared. And the coaching staff was there to remind you uh, to try to, you know, push the ceiling of your capability to make plays. The National Hockey League is a tightly uh, coached league, you know, that's super competitive for ice time. Certain coaches... Uh, breed and and demand that sort of uh, fear, you know, in, in competition throughout their lineup and amongst the players. Other coaches kind of go the opposite and try to uh, empower their players to be, you know, bigger than they are, thinking that's the best way uh, to get their talent out of them. I'm not totally sure. It reminds me of a sort of secondhand story I recall with Ken Hitchcock. Uh, whom I never played for. I'd only heard stories uh, from when I played in Dallas where he was not, where he was there uh, not too long prior to me getting there. And uh, <laughs> I don't know if it was there or in St. Louis, but I, I remember a story where Hitch was uh, famously complaining to his team that they were too close, uh, that they should want each other's job more. So I don't know, plenty of ways to, you know, skin the cat to win games. You know, Mike Keenan uh, famously, Interesting to play for, I'll use that word. 
you know, his name's on the Stanley Cup. And then, you know, there's, there's, you know, sort of the players, coaches who take a different approach. So as we come up on the Seattle expansion draft, uh, it's kind of fresh. Vegas wasn't too long ago. I wanted to think about that. Um, super excited to see what the Seattle Kraken do. Uh, I think every team in the league uh, has a, a copycat element. And there's two teams that I wanted to talk about. Uh, this isn't always a, a hockey reflection podcast, but being an NHLer first and sort of a a thought and spirit explorer, rather, on the other side of this podcast, curious competitor. I compete in the NHL, and then I'm you know, curious about life itself. So those are kind of the two lanes in which I talk on this podcast. Uh, two teams that really caught my eye was one was the New York Islanders. I think uh, I don't know what they have to do other than just win the whole thing. To really have that name when you say New York Islanders resonate as a contender. I've played against them. I've seen how good they are. I have a lot of respect for a lot of their players. I, I know a lot of them. Uh, Matt Martin, Kyle Palmieri were there. Uh, Travis Zajac, Leo Komarov was a teammate. Uh, grew up, you know, watching Nick Letty in Chicago. Uh, I think if you're a fan of hockey, you're a fan of Matt Barzell. Uh, I ran a skate last week and was trying to do sort of the Matt Barzell hip-to-hip inside-edge skating. Uh, so don't be shocked if you see that added to my game uh, next year. But what I want to highlight about the Islanders that I thought was super special And I saw something similar in Montreal and was talking about it with actually Peter Russo I've had on this podcast. Was it, it felt to me like all four lines, all five guys on the ice at any given time knew they had to check. They had to be honest. They had to play as if they were always down one, which is, to, in my mind, kind of the perfect balance between uh, being ready to pounce and having to push the pace uh, and, and maybe get outside your comfort zone if, if you have to, to, win, to do something to win the game, not just hope to win the game. Uh, but all five guys um, also knew that they might have to really pay attention offensively and be dynamic. I, I'm not exactly positive how they scored all their goals. They did a great job off the rush. You know, they were able to hold teams in, which I think created the rush. They were able to cycle quite a bit. Uh, they had a really good, you know, sort of low to high uh, game plan with, with net front traffic. I know Palms had a couple, you know, uh, you know 12 inches to, to, to bang them home to go home, to, to score in the playoffs, uh, which generally is, you know, every goaltender when you get to that level, every team defense is so structured that net front traffic uh, tips and second efforts are kind of the only style of offense you really can't have a plan for. Like sometimes the puck bounces your way, sometimes it doesn't, uh, and the goalie really always struggles to to stop what they can't see. But they also, you know, I remember Brock Nelson uh, toe dragging, thinking, you know, I wasn't totally aware, you know, just how good he was maybe offensively day in day out. As I saw down the playoffs, maybe it was just a good stretch for him. You know, the fourth line. You know, Marty's a good friend of mine, but all those guys play such a responsible game, but they're also not scared to, to try to win either. Like, they're not out there just living a fight another day, shift and shift out. They create momentum for that group, especially at home. There's a certain buzz when they line up checks and they don't miss. Uh, so there's something there to be learned about building an identity, sticking to it, 
and then allowing that uh, to be the foundation, you know, sort of like uh, a proc, uh, stability in one part of your game, allowing for mobility elsewhere for them to really reach offensively and, and, and do more. And I want to congratulate Marty uh, for, you know, being able to score a big goal uh, on a night where I'm sure, you know, from a family perspective, he missed being at Gunnar Siasen's wedding. Um, yeah, that's just the kind of special guy that Matt Martin is, finding a way to score uh, for his brother-in-law. Uh, the other side of it is Montreal. I think, you know, I had, uh, Chandler Stevenson was a groomsman of mine. You know, I was rooting hard for uh, Las Vegas, despite, you know, Montreal meaning all it did maybe to all of Canada with the, you know, ongoing, you know, sort of, uh, you know, COVID restrictions and the less people in the stadiums and just the unlikelihoodness, I'm not positive that's a word, uh, of the run. You know, you, you wanted to root for the underdog, but still with Vegas, being a fresh team, uh, frankly, I just love the buzz in that rink. I think every warm up should be that electric. I don't, I don't know what uh, or who they've hired, you know, from a production standpoint. But you know, the fan experience, the player experience in Vegas is top tier. Uh, I would have liked to see them, you know, get rewarded and, and get by Montreal. But I thought the same thing. Like they had this really good five on five energy and conviction, where every single player. And I, I forgot to mention this with the Islanders. I don't think I noticed a drastic difference in ice time, you know, particularly amongst the forwards from top to bottom. And when I think you've got more level ice time and both those teams are constructed like that all year long. It's not just something they tried on for the playoffs. It allows the bottom half of your lineup to find a rhythm. Talk to a lot of depth players, uh, five, six D men, you know, eight through 12 forwards, They'll discuss, uh, you know, this concept like, ah, I could just be so much sharper if I was able to find a rhythm. I'd be so much better if I could just get some more consistent ice time. And, you know, meanwhile, the coach sits on the other side of that and he'll say, you know, listen, I'll give you the ice time when you're more effective. So it's, it's kind of chicken or the egg type thing. Uh, but what I just noticed about those two clubs was I felt like their best players were able to still play a really strong... Um, aggressive, high jump sort of game because they weren't exhausted. They weren't trying to play hero ball. You know, I was talking to Ian Mack about this in the, in the gym the other day. They weren't trying to play hero ball where their top players had all this responsibility in the world uh, where the series was solely and only going to rely on them. No one else was going to score. They had to be the way that they got through the series. Uh, and the bottom half of the lineup got enough ice time, I feel, uh, to get enough rhythm. Now, I, I didn't watch the playoffs super close. Admittedly, I got my own training going on, uh, the podcast, and then more importantly, you know, my, uh, you know, family, the newborn at home. I guess Charlie's, uh, you know, over five, five and a half months now, so it's not technically a newborn, but he's still, you know, very much a, a baby that requires a lot of love and attention. Um and then, you know, I am married uh, to Lexi still, so we try to remember each other's names between the, you know, diaper changing, uh, and then I'm gone, you know, a good amount of the day, you know, with training and that. So I didn't watch every game super closely. But what I do feel is this element of equality throughout their lineup, rhythm, balance. No one had to overextend. Uh, you weren't losing players to La La Land uh, between shifts. Uh, you know, I, I have, you know, thoughts of how effective, you know, Corey Perry was. Some people love him. You know, 
some people don't for you know some of the hits he's had in his career, but there's no question he was super effective uh, in the playoffs and you know on a contract that was you know very team friendly. He's made a lot of money in his career. It's interesting that's something we're seeing with Seattle, like uh, unfathomable to see Carey Price's name on that list. I don't know him at all personally, but it's just it's a weird world we live in where uh, you know arguably. You know, the best goaltender of the last decade, the best goaltender that I know of, you know, from growing up as a, still a young NHLer, uh, being exposed after just having taken his club to the Stanley Cup final. Like, I'm not sure what more the guy could have done other than, you know, try to avoid his own deal and, and return money. It's, it's, it's just a super interesting time that's neither, uh, you know, a knock or a compliment on anybody. I don't know any of the details on the whole uh, bit. It's just, Kind of an interesting note of, you know, our salary cap. With all that said in the Stanley Cup, I also want to talk about Tampa. I really admire, and I kept an eye on the Toronto-Montreal series just because I, you know, I played in Toronto. Uh, Kyle Dubas was, you know, very likely the guy that was responsible for uh, trading for me as a Toronto Marley. He had scouted me in uh, the OHL. You know, Sheldon Keefe was my coach uh, when I led all of American uh, League playoffs and scoring, despite not having the fi- having made the finals. So I was rooting for those guys. Uh, Mitch Marner, Austin Matthews, I look up to their you know work ethic and skill. I get to see it every day. Uh, but it you know again they lost to a Montreal team that I thought just had they, they were just in the pocket, right? Um, and I just think it's interesting to to reflect on Tampa. They had the historic season and then the sweep by Columbus. You know, a couple adjustments. It's interesting. The different, uh, the difference in, in word choice. They made a couple adjustments that felt attitude-wise uh, to their lineup over the course of the years uh, versus changes. And this is something I think a lot about as a player where instead of making these drastic changes all the time, instead of thinking that, uh, the version of myself is outside of myself, and I need to change into that. When I think in terms of adjustments, like I'm, I'm super close, but almost like a golfer, right? Like one, one degree can make a huge difference, which means I'm right there. With Tampa, I just feel they've made adjustments over the years. Each and every player is just, either the players they've added have been great fits through great scouting, Hungry, ambitious trades. I remember each and every trade uh, over the course of the years, whether it's Blake Coleman or uh, David Savard, or you know, I'm sure there's a couple I'm forgetting. Um, and I'm always weary to, you know, frankly put other players in my mouth because I'm I'm still a current player and and you know not a, a commentator, but I just want to sort of acknowledge and and compliment the culture. Even uh, Nikita Kucherov, who's a spectacular hockey player. Uh, dominant in the playoffs uh, despite not having played, you know, a lot of the season or really all the all season, which could be an advantage rest wise. But, you know, I can't think of many players that would purposely sign up for not having played the entire regular season to have to step in in game one and perform. And Cooch did it without a blank. And uh, we're on nickname basis. Me and Nikita Kucherov, I just decided. But, um, there was a certain, like, he stuck to his game 
There was a simplicity to it. There was a hunger to get the puck back without overextending. He shot every time he should shoot. He passed every time he should pass. And the one goal that sticks out is sort of that uh, cockeyed lunging one-timer he took. I forget who it was against. He took this lunging one-timer off a, it was a two-on-one huge goal. Uh, And all I can think of is like, you know, I'm not positive he's ever really even practiced that particular shot. And I think if you gave him that exact two-on-one a handful of more times, I'm not positive he'd pull that same shot selection out of the hat again. But just the fact that he did and just the fact that it went in, to me, signifies there was a certain rhythm in the game that he was in tune with. There was a certain knowing, a certain feeling in his hands, a certain clarity, a certain hunger. And I, I've had that, you know, I just mentioned with the uh, Sheldon Keefe story and, and playing so well in the playoffs. It felt like I could just do no wrong. Sifters were going in. Uh, every faceoff I was on the ice for, I'd make a pass. That guy's one-timer was in. And there's a certain rhythm. There's a certain knowing. There's a certain ease uh, but strength that's available in your hands um, and to see it at the highest level uh, despite having not played a regular season was, was really special. Cause I remember, you know, talking with uh, teammates uh, who had played in Tampa about, you know, you know, s- sort of the three, the big headed, uh, the three headed monster there of uh, Stamkos, Kucherov and Braden point. And, you know, there's arguments about who was, you know, really the driver at the time. And, you know, Kucherov with the players I was talking with had, I don't want to say criticism, but it was a sniff of like, if he really dug in, he could be that much more effective. And to see that uh, was super special. I thought, you know, one of my favorite recent playoff performances um, that I can remember in terms of dominance. And then also I, I want to offer this Andre Vasilevsky story that is still demoralizing to this day. I was playing the Ovi spot. We had a top five power play every year. I was in with the Hershey bears. And I normally played the top play with Stanislav Galiev, who's in the KHL now, uh, Washington pick. He had a fantastic one timer. I might've snuck on an NHL power play if, you know, Washington didn't have number eight, but the second full year I was there, the year I actually got traded, I was playing the Ovechkin spot and Chris Bork would run the top, which was a little different because he was a lefty and I was a righty. So it was a little bit of a different one-timer pace for me to take. I did like having the option to pump fake and go back to him as he would often beaver tail and, and call for it. And I'll, I'll remind him of that. You know, Borky was like, uh, you know, seven eleven. He was, he was always open. Um, but we were playing Syracuse and Vasilevsky was with them. And most teams, you know, especially in the American League, will kind of flex out on that one-timer in the 1-3-1 and ask their D-men to block it. Sometimes in the NHL when you got, you know, Weber and, you know, Alex Ovechkin and bigger shots where, you know, there's just a higher certainty of broken bones, frankly. Uh, coaches will kind of either shadow the player or have their forward in, their, in the middle, their F2, as most teams call it, really favor that side and kind of give up the top shot. Well, Syracuse decided to just let Vasilevsky handle me one-on-one. So he was coming out to what felt like the dot, and I think he swallowed up. I might have had 15 shot attempts that night. Uh, Nothing was close to going in. 
just tried to drill holes through his chest and, and couldn't do it. And uh, remember going home that night like, well, we lost that game because of me for sure. We had a, a handful of power play chances, and I, I, they were all considered great A's, uh, but he was just, you know, they, they had equipped him with the confidence and the game plan uh, to come out and, and handle whatever I had to throw at him that night, uh, and he did. And I also believe, if I remember, I was, we lost in the quarterfinals to Team Russia. We had outshot them pretty handily at the World Juniors. This would have been uh, the start of 2013. It was my, or the start of 2014, 2013-2014. That was the season I broke in with Washington and played World Junior over Christmas time. I had just come back from a shoulder injury. I separated my shoulder while I was down with Hershey. I got smoked on a, uh, on a power play entry and, you know, frankly, was seeing stars and went back to the bench and tried to lift a water bottle. My shoulder just totally turned off. And I was like, that's not right. I can't lift the Gatorade water bottle. Um, got healthy, went to world junior. We're up one, nothing on, on team Russia. We had had a really good, uh, I don't know if it was round Robin or whatever they call it, but preliminary round. We were, I think the first seed in our division or conference, whatever it's called, half of uh, the tournament. And we're up one nothing. We are on a penalty kill, and we take a slashing penalty in the neutral zone. Uh, I think it was Thomas DePauli, uh, former Chicago Mission uh, Notre Dame alum. I think he was with Pittsburgh's organization last I'd heard. Uh, stud player growing up, great guy, great teammate, he warrior, played with him at the U.S. team. And, uh, you know, prior to World Junior, Takes a slashing penalty, penalty and that Nikita Zadorov, I think it was like all four seconds into the five on three, goes elbow down with one of the hardest shots I've ever seen. So we win the next draw. So we've got like a minute, I'd say 40 left on the clock of the second uh, penalty now, Thomas's slashing penalty. And so they, we win the draw and we ice the puck down but from inside our own blue line, put it over the far net, over Russia's goalie's net, and delay a game. I hadn't seen anything like it. Uh, Nikita Zadorov, all of four seconds into the five-on-three again. It's if the, first one, if the first shot was the hardest one time I'd ever seen, the second one was the second, second hardest one I'd ever seen at that point. Uh, bar down or elbow down again. Uh, we're down 2-1. And that's where uh, Andre Vasilevsky was a monster. Again, totally shut us down. I remember out shooting the team pretty ha- uh, handily. Uh, I'd won uh, the player of the game, you know, for that game. And, you know, frankly, no one cares who wins the player of the game with a losing quarterfinal uh, at World Junior. Uh, but, you know, I remember that hockey experience being a, a hefty dose of humble pie uh, another way by way of Andre Vasilevsky. So what a, a diesel he was in net uh, for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Also, uh, don't know him personally. I was watching a interview with, with John Cooper and just have to uh, tip my cap. He always seemed like a, a good person. Uh, everyone that's played for him seems to like him. I haven't talked to Blake Coleman with, about him, who I play with in New Jersey. Uh, but I remember he caught me after I was I was hurt in Dallas, just kind of walking to my car. It's a good long walk from the Dallas Stars locker room out to where the buses meet. 
and talked to him. And I just thought it was interesting. I remember thinking, uh, I was talking to a person there, not uh, someone who was playing the role of coach. I mean, I don't know if it was just because he wasn't my coach or not, but it, it always left a, a positive impression to him. So I, I guess you, you know, if you have to pick a team when you're sitting on your couch at home, like I turn into a fan if I'm not playing in the playoffs, uh, you want to root for you know, someone that seems like a good guy. As far as my own free agency, uh, it's an interesting and touchy topic. You know, haven't, um, nothing's obviously happened yet with 28th still being, you know, kind of the big date in a lot of the NHL clubs uh, still having to deal with the ball in the air that is the Seattle expansion. With that said, what I'm most impressed of is the familial growth. Lexi and I, you know, come trade deadlines in the past, get worked up, come training camps, you know you're going to have to be trying out, and there's going to be sort of a, a doomsday report card where you find out whether you're on the team or not, whether you're in the minors or not. And uh, in the past, I think that would enter into our home. The stress would kind of resound off the walls, and there was just this uneasy vibration. Both of us would be a little quicker to get temperamental, uh, with each other, I remember out of a, a, a latching out for control, a lot of times uh, when things get uneasy in hockey, I would kind of turn to this, you know, control freak. And there's a certain poise when you've been, you know, through these fires, when you've been through these uh, trials where uh, your skin becomes, you know, a little bit more leathery. You're You're not as susceptible to the unspoken stress of, un, of not knowing. And I think there's a genuine excitement between the two of us to start what's new. We enjoyed our time in Jersey. We had great friends, um, a, a blast, you know, Charlie Jackson, Carrick will always be, you know, a Jersey boy at heart. That's where he was born. Uh, that first week with him where it was like all snowed in and I was at home after uh, a lot of the games during the COVID season with Buffalo, uh, that kind of that super spreader uh, event. Uh, not having any hockey to really be a part of or miss and just be able to be home, you know, eat uh, beef stew leftovers and and listen to the snowfall outside and hold my newborn. Uh, that all happened in Jersey. And I will forever cherish that time uh, with Lexi and with my son and Hoagie. We forget about him a bit these days. Um, but with that said, we're super excited to see what's next. Been really fortunate over the course of my career. Loved my time in Washington, D.C., I was young and dumb and just excited to, to wear a jersey with the, with the NHL logo on it. Frankly, even just to have hockey pants with the NHL logo on it, I always just thought that was the coolest thing. See the NHL little badge on the, on the equipment. Toronto was special. Uh, I've talked about it you know, with many players, whether it's in, in training in, in the summer in gyms. It's a special place to play. It's, it's they, you know live and die by their team. Uh, they love their Toronto Maple Leafs. If you win there, uh, you remember forever. Now I know it's been, you know, quite a drought, but it's something that, you know, I think players still envy the players that, that have an opportunity to play there. I've been one of them uh, and I've, I'll always be grateful for that. Dallas was different. I was expecting warm weather. I was super excited to be there. It rained every day for a month. Uh, I'm not sure if that was an omen of what was to come. I thought I was ripe for, you know, congrats to Miro Iskin and just signed a big ticket 
with Dallas. Every dollar is deserved with him. Uh, stellar player. You know, he's going to be, uh, he's one of my favorite skaters I've ever played with. Uh, and I was trying to, you know, kind of be the guy to help him feel good about his game, defend, pass him the puck, uh, be able to read off his gaps and things like that. And eventually, you know, broke my leg, which led me to Jersey. Uh, all cool cities, all different environments, all different hockey experiences, drastically different coaches everywhere I've been. And, you know, as a 27-year-old, as a, as a very young, old person, I feel like in this game, uh, I have a lot of experiences that have made me, you know, who I am. And I'm kind of feel I'm entering into a 3.0 version of my game. So what does that look like in terms of training at home? I, I did a, uh, when I was out in Scottsdale to be in the summer, did sort of a, a laying out process of, of what my training was going to look like. And I'd say so far I'm executing that. A couple times a week, I was an Adam Oates client uh, for quite some time. I think he's beyond brilliant um, about the game. He really helped me become a student again. Uh, you know, I, at, at that point I was a little bitter about, you know, where my career was at and I wasn't as studious as I, you know, once was and, and am now. He helped me return to that. I do a lot of our work. Uh, you know, you got your cup of knowledge, everything you learn, you, you don't lose it, right? I, I always make, I got notes on my iPhone. I write reflections on my computer each year of coaches I liked, co uh, things that they did that I didn't like, verbiage they'll use, systems they'll use. Uh, so a couple times a week, probably two times a week, I grab a group. Um, and, uh, of you know, I'm out in Orland Park now, live at my in-laws and just do at my hometown rink. Uh, a lot of skill work. A lot of, uh, I call it paying attention work rather, a lot of leverage work, a lot of angles, all the details that kind of leave you if you're not in a structured playing in an NHL environment that are so important come training camp time. Uh, it's not just about, you know, toe dragging in the summer. You got to have, you know, habits that, you know, can help you, uh, frankly, make your coach happy, make your boss happy come season time. I've been doing a lot of skating work as a smaller guy. As a smaller demon, you have to be able to skate. When I'm at my best, uh, that's an asset that is on display. I think uh, I've made some skate adjustments that'll be massive for me. I feel tremendously more comfortable on my feet uh, and, and more agile, way more glide. Uh, there was a feeling I was chasing earlier in my career with the way my skates were built. I don't know if it was kind of a, a struggling relationship with Bauer or just uh, the way that I was communicating what I wanted. I was getting further and further. I feel like Bryson DeChambeau, um, further and further away from what I wanted. It's very difficult to like use words to discuss the language of energy and skating and what you want your foot to feel like in the boot. Uh, there's, there's a gap there in terms of how well you're able to communicate. And then for the, you know, the production line of the skate to, to understand what it is you're trying to say is very difficult. So I just kind of simplified and went to an older model that I found, frankly, by the grace of God, I guess, uh, in my parents' garage. And that's been hugely uh, helpful for my skating. Uh, I do uh, some figure skating work, which is more so like skating, you know, for hockey with a figure skating coach overseeing it. I think that there's a certain proprioception with their feet, and with their steel uh, that hockey players don't necessarily have. There's no reward for grit. 
in their game, which I think is super cool. Uh, it's all about grace, fluidity, um, helping your body work for itself. Uh, if anyone's ever, you know, met me, seen me, or, you know, frankly caught a workout video on Instagram, like I am a thicker, very built uh, athlete, uh, power and strength isn't necessarily my, you know, downfall. It's being able to, you know, unify those parts uh, in an ability that, maximizes grace and ease and glide, you know, on the ice. And so we do a lot of work there. And then I want to mention Matt Ford, who, uh, one of my favorite people in hockey, he was a captain uh, for Grand Rapids forever for uh, Detroit's minor league team. And I, I hope he gets a job next year if that's what he wants. Right now he's running uh, his Ford hockey school. I'm going to send him a, an invoice for this free advertising I'm giving him right now. Uh, but we run like a skate every Friday where we get up, up, up and down on the ice. Uh, we're at Johnny's ice house and then we play, you know, small ice games, five on five games. Me and Fordo usually throw 20 bucks on it. And I was joking with him last week. I'm like, Fordo, I'd rather lose a million bucks on my contract than have to pay you 20 at the end of the skate. And that's the beauty of competing with your friends. It's, uh, it, you're, you're able to find a level of spice and a level of energy. There's no one in the rank. Uh, the game essentially means nothing, but just because it's Matt Ford, who's the captain of his club, and I'm the captain of mine, uh, we go at it every Friday. It's, uh, it's one of my favorite parts of the summer. Training-wise, well, here, let me go into to food, because I think this is interesting. I have been, I have automated a lot of my food. So I'm using this like uh, Saqqara food service, which is, which is a vegan, very diverse vegetable driven uh, food service each week. It's pricey for, they don't, you know, provide a ton of protein for, you know, a big guy like myself, uh, but I can kind of cook and supplement the protein on my own. That's super simple. Grill up chicken, or I use those uh, organ ground uh, beef blends that I'll bring. And that's kind of helped me diversify the vegetables that I'm getting in. Cause I just, it was a goal of mine. I wanted to, I wanted to food prep more. So I was scrambling less during the week for food and I wanted to eat a wider variety. Well, both of those things require time and skill as a chef, uh, both of which I'm not super interested as an, as a, you know, a five month old's dad to be, you know, spending uh, my Sundays, uh, you know, hours and hours of, of cooking and prepping. And the reason it takes me hours and hours is because I'm not that skilled, frankly, and don't know what I'm doing. So from a cost-benefit analysis, I finally went, you know, sort of the food prep uh, way of things where I do the Saqqara. And I also use this Trifecta Nutrition. They're a company we use with the Devils. Um, they would, you know, help some of their young guys uh, who would train there in the summer use this stuff. And I really liked it. It's a little bit of like, I call it like bodybuilder food. It's bland. It's undersalted uh, at times, at least the first time around that I use it. Now the second time, I don't know if they made adjustments, but the food's really good. Uh, I just use like the clean uh, protocol method. They got like a keto one, a paleo one. I just figured, you know what, for the volume of training that I'm doing and the fact that I just want to eat the widest range of foods possible so that I'm not, uh, frankly, one, developing allergies to overly uh, consumed foods or my favorite foods. I just wanted to make it as easy as possible. You know, with being a dad, there's simply 
less time available for me. And Lexi's talked about the same thing as a mom. There's less time available for her. So we're both trying to prioritize uh, what it is that we uniquely do well and what can kind of be delegated. And so I've delegated the food and it's, it's costs money for sure. But you know, what I was doing before was between training you know, I do a lot of my training over in like West Loop uh, area, Chicago or West town. I'd be running a sweet green dropping, you know, $23 on a salad, whatever, by the time you add extra chicken and avocado or whatever. And I love a sweet green, but uh, there was also the time of getting there and parking was always uncertain. Um, you know, there was another spot I'm forgetting that. I, oh, roadie, I think was it like a Mediterranean grill. And I just wanted to kind of take things out of my own, in my own hands. So the only thing I don't love is the plastic use, which is still recyclable. I know that drives Lexi nuts, but I'm trying to find a more sustainable way to do it or, or a local chef uh, in the future if I can without it being, you know, frankly, you know, too pricey. I feel like my food bill, um, if I had to stare at that number, that would be, that might be what my version of hell is. Having to see my food bill, uh, the money spent on Ubers, especially pre-COVID, parking tickets, tollways. I don't know. I'll, uh, I'll stop there. So I've been doing that, uh, food wise. I know I used to, you know, pound sand about the meat and greens thing on Instagram. I still do that to an extent. Just I've also recognized a little white rice and brown rice and sweet potato and white potatoes and athlete isn't going to kill me. And if anything, it's, it's likely to enhance my performance, uh, and, and improve my eating experience, which is not nothing. Like I want to enjoy my food. Um, so that's that been using the infrared sauna a lot post-workout did some blood work earlier in the summer, uh, and found that my mercury levels were a little high. Maybe got carried away with the in-season, uh, sushi there a bit slash maybe not detoxing it the best way. So the infrared sauna helped me get down, uh, in the past with mercury. I'll be doing that again. I use that probably once to four times a week, depending on when my skating schedule is. Uh, just got another wave red light. I bought one for my mother-in-law. I had one in Jersey, but didn't travel home with it. Left it in storage there. Uh, found that to be massively helpful in season, uh, especially with the sleep deprivation of being up every couple hours to help feed and clean bottles and, and do all that good stuff. I use this company called wave red light. It's the most affordable one I've used. I'm actually in talks with them of, of some sort of partnership and want to make them an official sponsor of the podcast. I'm so excited about their quality. I've, I've listened to other podcasts and other brands and, and eventually made the decision that, uh, you know, with the level of quality of production and the story behind wave, that this was something I could invest in. And it was significantly cheaper uh, than some of the other options on the market with absolutely no compromise in quality. Um, I found that to be hugely helpful uh, just in terms of energy levels, specifically in the morning. I'd like to get my hands on Elisa Haggerty took me through this. I think it was like XBT uh, fire and ice near in New York city. It was like this uh, barrel sauna ice tub experience where you do like 20 minutes in the sauna, three minutes, full plunge uh, in the cold tub where you go, you know, head and all. And then you sit there not for three minutes. That'd be a long time to hold your breath but you, you sit there up to your neck rather in ice for three minutes. And then you do a full dunk on the way out and you do like uh, anywhere from two to five rounds of that. I'd love to do that. I just haven't been able to find an easy way to make uh, a cold tub 
you know, here at home, I wish I had, uh, you know, at the gym I'm at with Ian Mack, we have a cold tub, but it was out of service there for a bit. So we're working on getting that up and running. That's just a nice way to decrease inflammation from time to time with the training frequency that we hit. And uh, it's just fun, frankly, to jump in something cold after, you know, being all hot and sweaty from training uh, and then from it being hot outside. With Ian Mack and I, uh, I want to say it's our fifth summer. We continue to try to shave off anything that feels frivolous year in, year out. Anything that doesn't provide us the greatest ROI, uh, return on investment of time and effort uh, towards, you know, my game, uh, we continue to refine. So it's been really interesting to see his growth. We're in a big space um, on the west side of Chicago. There's basketball courts, so it's fun to kind of screw around before and after training with some of the guys. Uh, and then we do, you know, there's, there's plenty of turf space, and, which is, makes up the majority of our needs from a gym perspective. And then he's been able to uh, bring, you know, some of our uh, trainers and physical therapists in-house and on-site, which makes, you know, sort of the flow of treatment really awesome. I mean, I'm usually there. It's it's impressive. We're usually there, I mean, three, four hours a day, uh, you know, five days a week. And and the odd time I'll ask Ian if we can jam on a Saturday or Sunday, and he'll usually, you know, try to help me out, especially as the season gets closer here. Uh, you know, as players, we have, you know, summer weddings and vacations and things like that. So, you know, try and be as professional as you can and, and, you know, not miss anything ever. And Ian always helps us do that. Uh, supplements wise, I've been sticking with the designs for sports stuff. I'm on their board. I think it's spectacular. Um, I want to just be, you know, fully upfront with the fact that I am on their board. So I do have a self-interest at heart. Uh, but I vet the companies that I work with. I really am going to work with you know, companies that I love and use uh, and would approve of and I have educated myself on. And uh, Jordan Boxer, who brought me on with Designs for Sport, uh, has helped me, you know, really be able to trust uh, their product, all NSF. So, you know, for any college athletes and things like that, I think you're good. Uh, You'd have to ask your own, you know, coaches and things like that. I'm not exactly sure what the requirements are for pros. NSF is the big label that we look for. I've been using the... uh, Trying to the trifecta, the Sakara, and then smoothies is kind of my third uh, convenience food option that I've known and loved in the past and have reintroduced with great success. I've been doing like a Greek yogurt, a grass-fed Greek yogurt in the morning, uh, just a couple tablespoons, nothing, nothing crazy. Some water, three, four ice cubes. I've been doing that uh, beef protein, the chocolate one from Design for Sports, tastes fantastic. Uh, and then either spinach and some berries or uh, cherries. And then if I'm feeling real frisky, I'll do a banana uh, or some peanut butter. Um, And we do that every once in a blue moon. But that's helped me stay on top uh, calorically earlier in the day because I felt like what I was doing was, because I train early, do that to, to beat traffic in and out of Chicago. I was struggling to get enough calories earlier in the day and then I would just see red by dinner time and want to eat anything and everything I possibly could. Um, and I was backloading my calories that way. That was difficult for digestion. I was not sleeping as good. Um, so this has been way more consistent flow throughout the day and with way less um, hangry episodes. 
weight loss uh, binging, this, that wasn't a great problem before, but when you're trying to get, you know, 1% better every day, you know, these, these behaviors that, you know, eventually get so out of control, it's, it's a little subconscious, um, can really derail you. And then I would say, nutrition wise, I've had a greater focus on protein density throughout the weekend. I think it's easy to skip meals on the weekend or think you don't need to eat as much because you uh, maybe aren't training, but your body is still repairing, you know, from if, if I'm skating during the week, it's no question. I can get 10 workouts in, in five days. If you count the training, the treatment and the skating as both in, as, as all individual workouts, your body's recovering, you know, Saturday, Sunday. Uh, and you got to your, and your body's still burning calories just through walking, blinking, taking the dog out, carrying the baby up and down the stairs. Um, you know, all that. So you still need to fuel your body in a way that, you know, promotes, uh, you know, muscle growth and, and helps you frankly refrain from binging on the weekend as I know that's kind of an easy thing to do. Um, especially when you're not eating whole meals. So with all that said, that's kind of my midsummer uh, check-in. Uh, Charlie's upstairs. I've survived my first official day uh, as, as Charlie's sole uh, care provider. Lexi uh, is normally with them, you know, when I'm training and things like that. And then I try to take over in the afternoons. And we kind of have a yang yin, you know, quasi-balance there uh, the best we can. But today she's at uh, Connor Brown's uh, fiance, uh, Maddie's uh, bachelorette party. Uh, which is good. I think it was good for mom to get away uh, for a couple days and and have some fun with her with her girlfriends and and gain some some vitamin D out in the sun and things like that. Um, but I was really proud of myself being able to take care of uh, you know Charlie Man without a blemish today. He's sleeping. If you can, yeah, I'm not positive exactly how high quality this microphone is, but I'm I'm we've got this like uh, Nanit app which is just incredible. Like it gives you any updates if he's moved, it gives you any updates if he's making noise. Um, and during the podcast, just as he sleeps and I've put him down for the night, I've been able to keep an eye on it. Full disclosure, the podcast, uh, has felt a little bit more like work than like play of late, just given the stress on, you know, how I've structured my time throughout the week, but I'm working on, you know, finding inefficiencies and, and trying to borrow some of that, that and steal that time back. Um, I appreciate you sticking with me week in, week out here on the Curious Competitor podcast. I, I really do value uh, each and every listener. I try to, you know, craft storylines in my head or remember things that I thought were of value to me that I can share. This was a little bit of an open-ended, uh, you know, story time type episode, a midsummer sort of update. There's about... I call it six weeks until summer and my mind's over, which would be September 1st. Uh, it's back skate time. It's time to really dial in uh, the skill side. It's time to, you know, frankly start to wrap my head around uh, the fact that a season's coming and soon. And we'll see for who. I hope, uh, I know, you know, for a lot of kids, um, you know, listen to this podcast, go through tryouts themselves. There's an uneasiness. You don't know if you're going to make the team or not. You're going to a junior showcase. Um, and I empathize with you. I will, I, I've been there. I am you. And, you know, what you realize when you get older 
is all of those things uh, really do tend to take care of themselves. Your route is your route. Your career is really one of one. Uh, no one will have an identical career uh, as you. I really do believe, and I talk about this in the Lisa Haggerty episode, that life is happening for me. All the injuries, the broken legs, the trades, the shoulder separations, I've learned tremendously from all of those, and they've helped shape me into who I am today. Uh, and I'd like to think that, you know, come July 28th or August 1st or 10th or whenever it is I you know, sign a contract and with whom and under what agreement, uh, they'll be getting the best Connor Carrick yet. Uh, Connor Carrick 3.0, as I, you know, highlighted earlier, I think uh, my preparation at this point is as strong as it's ever been. Uh, my belief in self is far stronger uh, than it's ever been. I'm not positive I've ever felt uh, this confident this early. Some of that is from the preparation this summer. Some of it is from knowing how I played uh, at the end of last season. And a lot of it, frankly, sounds like a small thing, but small things are big things. I'm super juiced about where I'm at uh, with my skates. I don't, I don't, don't know how else to put it. I just feel uh, tremendously more uh, comfortable um, and feel like I'm skating like me again. I don't know what that means, but hopefully uh, in the fall when we all turn our TVs on or I'm watching video again, uh, that just becomes apparently obvious. That's it for this week's Curious Competitor Podcast. Any questions, uh, feel free to you know DM Colin uh, Steingard, myself, or the Curious Competitor uh, handle that we share on Instagram. Uh, please continue to reach out. Uh, with questions, concerns, likes, dislikes about the show. Um, I am trying to craft, uh, you know, kind of what the storyline is and get ahead of, you know, some of the podcasts so that I can keep things running all the way through training camp. I appreciate you joining me each and every week on our mutual quest to become a more curious competitor. I'll see you again next week.